Pack Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Extension Horses Tech Box Talk Series Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Siney with Oklahoma State University. And today we're going to be talking about how to renovate, manage, repair our pastures when we've had some pretty adverse weather conditions across the country. So joining us today is a member of the fabulous equine extension team from Penn State is Laura Kenny. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me today. Now, I can't remember, Laura, um, have you been on the podcast with us before? Just once. Yeah, we talked about my uh, my new horse when she was 20 years old. <laughs> oh, that's right. New tricks for old horses. So yeah. how is she doing? She's doing good. Have you learned any new tricks lately? Have we learned any new tricks? Well, we've learned how to walk over a pick-em-up pole, or like pick-up stick poles. Because okay. she's, she's trying to learn how to use her feet a little bit better. So we're making big obstacle courses for her. That sounds like a lot of work for you too. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So um, the reason I thought this would kind of be a good topic, you know, from my neck of the woods down here in the South, we had kind of a flash drought um, this summer where, you know, the rain just stopped. It was hot, windy, really, really hard on pastures. And I know other places have had, you know, excess rain. So I think, uh, Tennessee, or I can't even remember all the, the states that have had extra rain this year that have been really, really problematic. And so that can take a pretty heavy toll on pasture. So you do a lot of pasture talks and, and pasture programming. So we thought we'd reach out to you um, to give us some advice on what the heck should we think about doing. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, the answer that is the easiest, but also the most difficult for everyone who has horses is that the pastures need to be rested when we're having these stressful environmental conditions. Um, Anything that's going to keep the grasses from growing, it's probably best to not have the horses grazing on them and trampling them. So if you have something like a a sacrifice lot or a dry lot, this is the time to use it, especially when we're talking drought. I mean, floods are sort of their own monster, but particularly drought until that grass can recover, keeping them on a sacrifice lot, dry lot, whatever it is you want to call it, um, is going to be your best bet. Okay, but then I'm going to say, all right, reality. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't have that and that's where they live, and, and, you know, you know, for us too, like if you didn't have a hay supply set in, or guess what, it's really hard to get hay if the grass doesn't grow, like, okay, now what? Yep. So if you still need to use the pastures for turnout, you still need to use them for turnout. Um, you know, that's pretty much all you can do. You can designate a couple of pastures to be the the summer pastures, the ones that you're going to let your horses trample, you're going to let them graze down, and hopefully the other pastures, you can leave them empty and they will recover a little bit faster than the ones that you are using. So you can sort of prioritize them in that way, knowing that the ones you do use might need either more time to recover or they might need a full renovation in the fall or in the spring. 
Um, of course, you're definitely going to need to feed some sort of forage when we have lower um, you know, pasture out there. So if you can't find hay, there are forage alternatives, forage substitutes, hay cubes, hay pellets, chopped hay. So there's all sorts of stuff that you could go out there and, and buy. Of course, it's going to be more expensive, but there's not much, there's not that much we can do when there's, when there's a drought. So how, um, and, and obviously, you know, sometimes we still have to let them out. How much damage is it doing to the grass? Like can grass recover from a drought? How long is it just the miracle of a little rain or can it ever just die because of lack of water? Yeah. So a lot of that's going to depend on the health of the pasture when the drought hit. So if you've got an overgrazed pasture, uh, the grasses, you know, an inch or two tall, it's going to have really shallow root systems and they are not going to tolerate a lack of water for very long. So those could vary. I mean, they'll definitely go dormant for as long as they can, as long as they have energy reserves to just stay alive. Um, but they can die if the drought is long and the grass wasn't that healthy to start with. If you've got a nice pasture, nice tall grass, nice deep root system, that'll be able to access water for a little bit longer as the soil starts to dry out, you know, from the top to the bottom or going deeper. Um, and hopefully that healthy grass will last a little bit longer and it will recover once we start getting some rain back. So, I, I mean, can you essentially tell that if it rains and then nothing happens, it's dead? Give it a week or two. <laughs> Give it a week or two and let it see what happens. Keep your eye on it. So could you tell us why, you know, so a lot of our, our grass that we want the horses to eat, and the horses want to eat it too, which is probably why it got to be so small and tiny. Um, but the weeds seem to like, okay, drought, I gotcha. I see you. And here I go. Like, why, why do they do okay and not our grass? <laughs> well, a lot of the weeds that we have are opportunistic and they can tolerate conditions that our grasses just can't. You know, our grasses are bred to be um, productive and really great feed for our animals. And they're not necessarily, um, they haven't been bred to survive in harsh conditions. Whereas the weeds are subjected to these harsh conditions and whatever lives is going to uh, reproduce. So the weeds just, they can really take over when the grass is not competitive and not productive. So is there anything that we can do? I mean, that seems kind of crazy to think about mowing or anything. If like your poor little grass is like, ah, I'm dead, um, dormant. <laughs> so, but what, I mean, should we be thinking about weed control at that point in time or just kind of let things go and see what happens? If you've got weeds that are growing taller than the grass, you could absolutely go ahead and mow those, mow the tops off of those. Um, when it gets real dry, it's pretty unlikely that the weeds are going to be actively growing, you know, quite as, as much as they would be if they had water. So it's not the best time for any sort of a chemical spray weed control. You really want to apply those when the weeds are actively growing. Okay, so does that mean for those weeds that might have flourished through there that we wait until it rains or are we talking like, okay, now we have to think about fall or spring and trying to help revive this disaster. When it comes to weeds, I like to 
refer to the weed itself. You identify the weed, you figure out its life cycle, and that will tell you the most effective time to apply any sort of an herbicide. Um, a lot of times, if it's going to be a summer annual weed, the ones that are going to start growing in the spring and in the fall, they'll totally die. Um, a lot of times when they're big and starting to go to seed and, you know, flower, it doesn't make much sense to spray them anyway. You want to prevent them from setting seed, but they're going to be dead in a couple of months anyway. Okay. So is there any way to prevent them from setting seeds? Mowing those seed heads off. Okay. So just, just mowing. Mm -hmm. well, we like fire, but fire and drought doesn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. No, not so much. So, um, okay, so, and I, I know I wanted to talk about floods too, so I don't know, does this all to go together or should we kind of deal with drought and, and then flood? But if, if they've really been grazed down and, you know, their tender little nice grasses have died, so now we're talking about starting over? Is that our only recourse? Yeah, if you want you know, nice productive grasses out there are forage varieties um, and everything has died, it's probably time to start thinking about a reseeding. So depending on what part of the country you're in, different there's different um, windows for the best time to reseed. So that would be something you'd want to call your local extension office and figure out what's the best window to plant new seed in that kind of a situation. There are annual forages that you could plant sort of as emergency grazing in sort of the later fall. So if you planted them now, things like oat, annual ryegrass, wheat, barley, you could plant them soon once you've got water again. <laughs> That's going to be our key. Um, and then you can have some nice grazing for a couple of months before winter hits. So that's probably good to, to mention. Maybe a lot of people don't think about planting annuals because we're like, oh, well, we want something that we plant once and, and don't have to do it again, right? Mm -hmm. But, but do that, does that help a little bit with kind of out-competing some of the things that we don't want there as well as giving them something to eat? Yeah, yeah, it can certainly help to outcompete weeds. Um, that they shade out the weeds if they're growing nice and quick. They can shade the weeds. They can compete with them for water and nutrients. Um, and a lot of times, if it's already too late in the season to plant your perennial grasses, that's when this you know emergency kind of cover crop situation could be really useful. So folks really need to check with their county um, extension educators slash agents, yep. you know, where you live in the country um, and find out if, which is the best one that's going to be suitable for the climate that you live in. So that's a great suggestion. Yep, that's right. Because uh, again, we've we've been fortunate here to get a little bit more rain, but ugh, it was bad this summer. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Yeah, Pennsylvania was about. pretty dry too. Yeah. So what about the the flip side? There have been parts of the country that have gotten hammered with rain, these big, all of a sudden rain um, in massive quantities. Does Is that harmful for pastures? It certainly is. There's a lot of different considerations when we have floods. Um, the amount of damage is going to depend on a whole bunch of different factors. Um, things like how long was the forage underwater? So a lot of our 
grasses can survive for a week or two being underwater. Oh, wow. So yeah, if it's just, you know, a couple of hours or a day that everything's underwater, you're probably fine. Um, If it's going to be a prolonged flood where everything's underwater for up to a week or two, then you might start having some more uh, damage to your forages. Things like how cold it is, how warm it is when the flood hits, um, whether it's moving water or standing water, all of these things can impact how much damage there's going to be to the plants. So what is what is worse, standing water or moving water? Standing water. Okay. Yeah, moving just- water, at least, you know, it stays a little cooler. There's a little bit more oxygen moving through it. So what does a plant look like then if it's been standing water flooded? and is unhappy. They call it, I've, I've seen it called a green drought when there's flood damage because you may not be able to tell right away. It'll still be green, um, but the plants will eventually just die if they're, if they're overly damaged. Now, you may have some regrowth, right? So if the plant, if just the leaves die, there may be some regrowth after the flood. If it's been several weeks depending on which type of plants you have and which ones are more flood tolerant, um, then you might just see some new growth from the crown. Okay, so then you'd have like dead stuff on top, but you look to see if there's any green coming up from the bottom. Yeah, yep. Yeah, the nice thing is, I mean, it's definitely not nice, but it takes a little bit of time for the pasture to dry out, right? You really should just leave it for a week or two um, so that it fully dries out, check for damage, check for any dangerous stuff that may have washed into your pasture, um, really take care of all those pressing needs before you start thinking too much about the pasture grasses, um, you know, down to power lines, gas cans, anything that might have washed into your pasture during that time. Um, look for how much erosion may have occurred. You might have lost soil from part of your f- your field or your property, and it may have been deposited on another part. So if you've got several inches of soil that's been deposited on top of pasture grasses, you might need to move that soil. You might end up planting over it. So there's a lot of stuff that can happen with floods. And then, of course, you're also concerned about the horse health aspect. You're going to have sediment on your grass leaves, usually. There may be chemical contamination, although that often gets diluted from all the flood water. Um, And then, you know, pathogens can spread in water, too. So you'll want to consult with your vet to make sure that your horse is up to date on all applicable vaccines to protect him in that time. So you talked about, like, chemicals and and sediment. I also, you know, think about molds and things like that. Is there any any way an owner would even know if those are present or not? Well, as far as the sediment, you can probably just go out and look at the grass leaves. And if they have a, a fine layer of dirt on them, then that's a pretty good sign that they're covered in mud. Um, as far as the pathogens and the chemicals, you probably wouldn't be able to see that. So that would just be something you'd want to wait it out. Um, a nice rain, which of course is what you want to see after a flood, but a little bit of rainwater can help to wash the, the sediment off. Another thing you can do if there's decent height left, you can just mow it down. Okay. Just mow off all those plant tops that are covered in soil and sediment, and then just wait for the pasture to regrow before you put the animals back out. So how long, you know, so we said, you know, keep horses off of pastures if it's 
dry um and and you would know because someday it'll rain maybe um <laughs> <laughs> how long do you wait till like they don't make hoof prints anymore or like for the for the grass's sake how long should you wait if you have the opportunity maybe we'll come back to that if you don't but if you have the opportunity to keep them off how long would you wait Right. before you put them back on Yeah. So if you have the opportunity to turn them out somewhere else and you really want to prioritize the health of this field and the grasses in it, you would wait until the grasses have regrown and recovered up to about six to eight inches before you'd put the horses back out. A lot of farms, that's definitely not possible. Um, and we're at this point just trying to mitigate the damage and not cause any more. So in that case, you'd want to just at least make sure that the ground is solid, the soil is no longer saturated. So as you said, when they're leaving deep hoof prints, they're compacting the soil, they're damaging the roots. So anytime we can keep horses off a of pasture when the soil is really wet and saturated is good for the plants, good for the soil. Okay. So, um, now curiously, are there, um, recommendations that, that you could make? And I know it's going to be hugely regionally dependent. So maybe this isn't a, a super fair question, because uh, Oklahoma definitely grows things differently than Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, but are there, um, you know, pasture species that are known to be a little bit more flood or drought tolerant? So I'm most familiar with cool season forages, so that's what I'll be <laughs> able to comment on. So there's one species that is a little bit, a little bit questionable for me. However, reed canary grass um, is probably one of the more flood, wet condition tolerant grasses that I know of that is also considered a forage grass. That being said, in some states, in my state included, um, it's considered invasive. So it's a grass that grows very quickly. It grows very tall and it can get really mature really quickly. So it's in an in a area that you're planting it because it's prone to being wet. It probably means you're not going to be able to get in there to mow it to keep it in that nice low vegetative state that's good for grazing. So reed canary grass is one of the only forage grasses I know of that is really tolerant to wet conditions, but I can't say that's the best solution. Um, the other cool season grasses that I'm familiar with mostly have moderate tolerance to wet soil conditions. Okay, so it's really, if it's just too swampy, nothing's going to be Mm hmm good. yeah, you'll see wetland plants growing instead. <laughs> Yeah. Things like rushes and sedges, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, for us in, in Oklahoma, um, when we talk about what's more tolerant to drought, nothing can survive, well, it'll go dormant. Uh, but our native grasses, you know, there's a reason that these guys survive out here in the plains and have gone through these periods. They have really big, long root structure if they're allowed to, to grow. Otherwise, what you've talked about, overgrazing means the, the roots get itty bitty too. And so then they can't survive these adverse conditions as well. Yep, that's right. So maybe that's maybe something worth talking about is is perhaps good pasture maintenance, does that prevent, can't eliminate any risk, but is that helpful to be able to withstand some of these swings in the environment? Yeah, I definitely believe so. Yep. If you can keep your pasture grasses healthy, thick, 
Um, one of the best management systems that you can use to keep your pastures productive and healthy is rotational grazing, where you would take a series of pastures and a group of horses and you'd graze these pastures one at a time. I'm sure you've probably talked about this before mm -hmm. on the podcast, but that the fact that that gives each pasture and all the grasses in there a recovery period after being grazed, it does wonderful things for the life or the, um, the longevity of the stand and the production. And it just, it keeps everything healthy longer. It lets them grow taller, which means they're also going to have deeper roots. So it's a really, really great way to keep grasses in good shape. Okay. So now let's go the other way. And we've, we've been terrible at this <laughs> or, or we had really just a, a terrible year and we couldn't prevent um, some of the damage. When you're talking about pasture renovation, walk me through what on earth does that look like? Is this like plowing the field? What are we talking about if we're doing restoration slash renovation? So you can choose whether or not you'd like to till the ground in most cases. Um, from a conservation standpoint, we usually like to avoid tilling as much as we can to preserve the soil um, quality, the soil structure. However, there are some cases where the soil is so compacted by years and years of use and grazing that um, sometimes it can be helpful. But my first step in any sort of a renovation is always to soil test. Okay. Figure out if that soil needs lime, if it needs fertilizer, um, because you don't want to plant seed into a soil environment that's not conducive for growth, right? You don't want to limit its growth before you even get any grass coming up. So I always start with soil testing, make sure the environment's ready for grass seed. Um, if there's a lot of forage already there, if you want to renovate, you can either kill the forage that's there, or if we're going to be going the plowing route, you can plow it under. And you'll want to plant the seed. There's a number of different ways you can plant seed. You can broadcast it onto a prepared seed bed and then you know, do some rolling to sort of press it into the soil. There's also some equipment called uh, no-till drills, which are helpful if you don't want to plow and till the earth. And it just, it cuts a little slit in the soil, it drops the seed in, and then it covers it back up again. They're very, very convenient. And they do a great job of giving you a good stand of grass without having to till up the soil. So question on that, for those type of um, equipment, is that something that a small farm would have access to? Do they make them for small acreage? You can find fairly small ones. Um, the issue is the cost. It's not the kind of thing that a farm would probably buy and then use once every couple of years. So our conservation district in my county has a five-foot no-till drill that farmers can borrow or rent. So the conservation district near you is a good place to start and see if they know of anybody or if they have one to rent or to borrow. Um, you'll just need to make sure you have the right equipment to tow it, the right kind of tractor with enough horsepower and hydraulics and whatever specs this piece of equipment needs. So now I'm going to um, just go out and say it because I don't know the answer to this at all. Does every state have a conservation district? Should I know that? 
you know, I guess I'm not positive on that one. I know they might be called like a soil conservation district in different states. Um, I know the last two states I was in had them, but <laughs> okay, what's the I other think state? <laughs> it's something that was developed during um, like the Dust Bowl era. I think it was you a federal think, like Dust Bowl. Thing. That's that's us all over. It. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably should have to look that up and see what that is exactly called here in Oklahoma. But I always fall back to you. Just call your county educator. I'm going to throw them under the bus. It just called them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Start with extension. <laughs> yeah, they should know who what that entity is called um, in your state. No, but I think that's an important question for or some for people to know because, yeah, it's not practical. You're not going to have all this big giant equipment if you're mm -hmm. like a small farm and a lot of horse farms, hobby uh, farms are in that 10 to 20 acres. Like, yep. it doesn't make sense to have huge amounts of equipment. Uh, yeah, that's when it can be helpful to ask around, ask your neighbors, um, ask at the, the ag supply store, see if you can find somebody who can either do it for you or you can borrow theirs. Okay, very good. Um, and definitely wanted to maybe go back to that rotational grazing. It doesn't require like that you're stringing up all this complicated fencing. Like it can be as simple as, you know, step in poles and, mm -hmm. you know, the hot wire uh, tape. Uh, so that works pretty well and not a, not a long project in a day to just right. set those fences up. Yeah. And I particularly like using that temporary electric fencing for your interior subdivisions, because if maybe you decide you hate it and you don't want to keep doing it, it's easy to pull out. Maybe you discover that your little grazing units are too small. You just move the fence and make it bigger. So yeah. you're not, you're not married to it. Like it, if you had installed permanent fencing. Right. Nobody wants to pull up T-posts. <laughs> 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 Just not a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What else should we uh, be thinking about as trying to be responsible owners when the climate is always so unpredictable and gives us such wild swings? I think the best thing you can do is just think about it ahead of time. Um, try to prepare yourself. Give yourself a plan A and a plan B. Um, you know, what happens if we have a severe drought this summer? What happens if we have a severe flood this summer? Where will we put the animals? Is it time to put in a sacrifice lot that can help, you know, keep them off of the pastures while they're just struggling? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a that's a big thought is, is do you have that ability to separate them and take them off pasture and still give them adequate space to move around and do all their mm -hmm. social interaction? Um, if you haven't built one, it's probably time to think about one. Yep. Yep. Very helpful for pasture health. Okay. Anything else that we're forgetting to talk about in our um, plan A, plan B? Well, the only other thing that occurred to me was um, in the flooding scenario, you'll definitely want to make sure you test, especially if you have a well on your property, make sure you test that water quality pretty shortly after the flood, make sure that there's no contaminants in there as well. That's for human health as well, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You don't want to be drinking the lead, turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, Laura, it's been very helpful. Um, hopefully um, people have ability to recoup those pastures a little bit, mm -hmm. looking at those cover crops. Um, have you guys had any wild weather there in Pennsylvania lately? We've been very, very dry for most of the summer, and then the last two weeks or so, 
we are now pretty wet. <laughs> We're back to normal rainfall levels, at least in my county. Gotcha. So maybe some late hay production if it still grows there. So yeah, hopefully. Good. Well, again, I really appreciate this. Um, and it would be nice to say that horse owners never have to worry about this. But my guess is every few years, you're going to have to have to figure this out and start coming up with those backup plans, making sacrifice lots, thinking about rotational grazing. And I'll always echo, um, buy adequate hay to cover these times where you're not sure that, you know, that pasture is going to support grazing. That's right. All right. Well, I think that does it for our pasture talk. Um, so once again, thank you, Laura, so much. And that has been our Tech Box Talk, for Stories with a Purpose. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.